Welcome to No Ordinary, Ordinary women. women, the podcast where two ordinary broads talk about extraordinary women, the good, the bad, and, and the, the bad shit crazy. Hey, bros. Hi, Lynn. How are you? Fantastic. It's our normal Thursday recording. Rose is a little better. She has something slimy in her throat, though. <laughs> we won't tell it. We won't talk about what that is. It's a frog. <laughs> it's, it's a frog. <laughs> um, but yes, we are recording today and we have both decided that um, it's in the best interest of the podcast for us to go ahead and have cocktails while we record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's all for the podcast. It's just for the podcast. <laughs> Rose was editing the episode that released this week and... She was like, I'm falling asleep. It's so boring. <laughs> but I mean, you know, in in reality, your story was really sad. So it was like, yeah, I mean, it was long and it was really sad. Yeah. But so it wasn't like we weren't like laughing and cutting jokes like we always are. Um, but it, I was super tired. I hadn't slept well for a couple of nights. You were tired because you had been sick. And so we were both kind of like very low. And, and we, we had were like a million water. things to do because we had to do another recording at, right. today. <laughs> right. And we were also both um, like trying to eat super healthy. We've been trying to eat healthy. So we have no sugar energy whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. No alcohol, no sugar. Yeah. And so we were sad. <laughs> we decided for the for the podcast and for our fans we will drink. So today, cheers, Rose. <laughs> cheers. We are drinking in our pretty cups from John. We're drinking um, Kentucky Mules. So good. I missed you, bourbon. No, I love my bourbon. It's been 12 long days. <laughs> some Knob Creek and Reed's ginger beer and some lime. I wanted to do the the regular um, orange mules like we did last week. And yeah, add that would have been so good. But I didn't have enough oranges. Those oranges but are so good. I like bourbon in the winter. More yeah, than I vodka. do too. I do too in the winter. But I mean, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like a mule is a little bit wintry. Yeah. Does a mule, know, mule usually has vodka? Vodka, yeah. Oh. But anyway, so Will, are you? can you taste this? Speaking of that. I can. My, I think my taste has come back. I haven't, oh. like thinking back on it. Maybe I don't. it's the frog. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Maybe I, the frog's been stealing my taste. Maybe he slipped down your throat and was like, let's get that taste back. Or maybe. <laughs> you weirdo. I am a weirdo. So, yeah, and it's you know the other thing is the cocktails because we're both trying to eat really healthy, and so you know like you guys saw when we did the amazing calzone from Fabio's, which was like mm -hmm. the size of a small table. Um, we're not doing that. So today I packed my dinner and Rose got a really healthy salad or whatever, and it's just. It kind of takes a little bit of the fun out, but I want to be a little healthier, and so does Rose. So we put it, we're putting that over our food fun for now. I know. At least so. we're drinking again because we yeah. took all the fun out of our lives, like just yeah. ripped it all away. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it was just like the perfect storm because between your story and not drinking, it was rough. You know, <laughs> yeah, it was like, I remember yeah. I was like leaning my head on the wall, yawning. I was so tired that day. And today I'm super tired too because I did not, I could not sleep last night. Oh, really? I went to bed and I... Um, I hate nights like that. I, it, I 
read and finished my book. And I hate when I finish my book because then I'm like, because you can't like start another one. Well, I, I actually had a book that I had started reading a while back. And then I can't remember why I stopped reading it. I think I felt like I wasn't into it. So I picked I went and got that off my dresser and started reading it again. And it's an actual book instead of my Kindle. Oh, my gosh. So I had to like turn on the light oh, and geez. put on my glasses. So I did all that. And I read until I started feeling tired. And I was like, oh, OK. And I went to bed. I turned off the light, put the book down and then played a sleep story from the Calm app. And usually I go right to sleep with that. Yeah. Three sleep stories later, I'm awake. <laughs> and I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. So it was a rough night. So I will sleep well tonight. Oh, um, I've been doing double show. Um, meditation. Peloton has like meditation. And I've been doing them every night before I go to bed. I just turn it on and I'm asleep within, I do like a 30 minute. Oh, really? And I'm sleep within like two seconds. Oh, see, yeah. I, but I guess I'm always asleep with See, I think seconds, that's so. kind of like the way these sleep stories work, but it's not a true meditation, which I really need to get back into meditation. It's very good for your mind and body. I mean, I'm not actually doing anything. I'm just listening to it and then falling. Like, I literally fall asleep within like minutes. Do you do like, is it like breathing and stuff? They tell you to breathe certain yeah. ways? Hmm. And like tr- just to relax maybe you. I think the, will, the, maybe Peloton will sponsor us so we can. Well, I can um, put you on my um my profile. There's there's um, meditation on the Calm app. I get no, the Calm app through I want work, you to do the Peloton meditation. Girl. I want you to come to the dark side. Come to the dark side. So I think we should do a little hypnotate, hypnotization. I mean, meditation about you sending me money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going to find that. <laughs> Just call Caitlin. <laughs> Can you send me $62,000? Do you have $61,500 I can borrow? <laughs> Oh, you do? Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a rude awakening today when my daughter and I were talking, and I realized she makes more money than I do. And I was like, cool, bro. Really cool. I've been at my job for six years, and my daughter makes more money than I do. Um, Yana said that happened to her. Oh, yeah, Lily. With yeah. Lily, yeah. Lily came out of, she had, uh, she went to dental hygienist school. Yeah, and she makes more than um, Yana, who's been an RN for, for 30 years. Yeah. 30 that is such bullshit I know, that's such but bullshit what makes me so angry about that kind of stuff is that people that start now you know they're starting making more money than yana oh yeah for sure but they're like oh we've got her but now they kept their their pay yeah. and then they never it's yeah such bullshit and then if and you're she's a loyal nurse, for to, fuck's sake yeah she works at uva and if you're loyal then it makes me so angry screwed. i i definitely oh yeah so that's why it's good to job hop so i mentioned it to my boss on my one-on-one today by the way <laughs> guess what yeah. So my, I mean, I love my boss. He's awesome, very supportive, and awesome. But it was kind of funny. I was like, uh, yeah. It was kind of a little bit of a gut punch for me. Like, I bet it was. I mean, because my daughter's been. I mean, she she's obviously younger, um, but she it's her first like nine to five in this industry. Like, she's definitely worked in this industry since she got out of college. And yeah, it's, it's what she went to college for, um, and she's badass. Like, she, what she does, she's really good at it. But I'm like. And she also does, in disclaimer, she does live in a state that is, has, you know, like, the, it's very high cost of living. So Really? It's, yeah, it's super expensive to live there. I didn't know that. Oh, my God. It's, like, ridiculous. I would have thought it was, like, really low cost. I mail, well, when I was, like, doing well, like, financially a little bit better when I was working two jobs, I ma- I was mailing her groceries here and there. Like, stuff from Trader Joe's. She keep, They don't have a Trader Joe's there. Uh. And, like things that are just so expensive that's just, crazy like 
ketchup, mayonnaise, mustard, stuff like that. Are you that. serious? Yeah, it's so expensive. Everything because everything has to be shipped, be shipped there. In, yeah. It's it's not. It's like Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's exactly the same way. So, anyway, but I think we should get this party started. What do you think, Rose? I, I think already it's my started turn to the party. First. You started the party. Party in your I'll pants. I'll be over here drinking. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave off. That's the later. <laughs> Don't get Chris all excited. We're going to let him down. <laughs> He knows better. He's going to listen to this and be like, next week and be like, uh, I, I didn't heard. get um, my promised booty call. So okay, anyway, so who are you going to tell us about? Today, I'm going to tell you about a very, very cool woman who... Um, Rose so, Stein. Rose Stein, a.k.a. No, I'm kidding. Um, so this woman, I started looking up sources on her and like reading about her and stuff and like Wikipedia always comes up, but I don't like to use Wikipedia because you just don't know really how like, accurate yeah, that information who put is. The information yeah. in. Um but sometimes I'll use it to go back and forth for like dates and stuff to yeah, see if I yeah. can like confirm things. Um but I found her autobiography. Oh. And it's like posted on That's the internet. That's super helpful. <laughs> and it's like posted chapter by chapter. And I was like, I was so into it. I really at first I was like, oh, this is just kind of OK. It's like a, when I found her autobiography, like all the like stuff that she, I could have gone on for days writing about her. Really? Like the when she talks about her going back and forth with people and how badass she is and how she didn't take shit from anybody. I was like, oh, so now I want to get her book and like actually read it. Yeah. But we'll see if that happens. <laughs> I know, like I have time to read. Um, but so I, so I did a lot. Like I did a lot from her book and did you should, a lot of quotes. You should do, listen to um, books on tape. I think I'm going to do that this year. That's a good idea. Audio. I mean, it's because well, it's kind of like when I'm listening to my podcast, right? I know. Because you know? like when I'm doing, there's several things I do at work that are kind of mindless. When I'm like, right? There's like some processes that I do yeah. for like applications and stuff, and so I'm like, just it's mindless. I don't have to think about it, and I, that's when I listen to my podcast. Like if I'm trying to generate an email that's not a template or anything yeah. obviously i can't be yeah i know anything i have to like read or write i'm like i can't listen to a podcast but right for like data entry kind of stuff yeah, it's exactly like, and yeah. so that's yeah so i might start doing that a little bit more but i definitely um enjoyed this book it was very cool i want to read um i'm gonna audio book um harry prince harry's new book spare i haven't heard about his book are you kidding me uh no do you not no, I watch. I just watched. Uh, I don't even think I finished the documentary. Actually, I didn't read. I didn't watch the documentary. But you don't know he has a book. All he's saying all these things about like William and Kate. And... Well, there's a. Oh wait, you probably I, have read about it. No, I definitely have heard. I thought it was coming up in the documentary that William had. Did you tell me that William had an affair with Kate's best friend? Somebody told me I that. Think we, I, I may I may have told you that because I did like dive into that. I was like, what the? Yeah, he, uh, I mean, that's what they say, that he had an affair with her best friend. And she's dealing with all the, like, those kids. I, I have to say, every time I think about her, I think about them at that, like, the Queen celebration. Not before she died, when they did that, like, big celebration. Yeah. And um, and the son is, like, sitting there and, and the daughter, like, corrects him. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, she knows, like, the proper thing yeah, to do. Right. And he's like like eh. and then the mom does something and he like flaps his hands all around like he's like 
annoyed. I know. I and then cute. and then he like does the finger on the nose, he's like, like waves his such fingers. A, like third child. Oh my god, he's it made me laugh. If that's not Lily to a T, Casey too, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Like it's like they just don't give a like, fuck. Nobody's gonna tell me right. how to behave, right. or how to act, or what to do. And, and like think- Caitlin and Chris would just look at Casey and like laugh and be like, oh my god. Like Caitlin would like have her hand over her mouth and be like, uh. what is it? Is it because we're so tired that we're just like I don't fucking care? <laughs> well, that's how there's pictures of. Caitlin, Casey, Abby, Emma, all standing because they're all around the same age, yeah. right? There's pictures of them all together, and <laughs> they're all always like looking at Casey. And like, there's one picture of Abby rolling her eyes at Casey, and Emma's like <laughs> looking at Casey. And I'm like, oh, Casey probably farted or something. Like, who knows what she did in that picture? It's so fun. Like, there's so many pictures. And there's one picture where like Abby's like literally holding her nose, and Emma's like, ah, and then Caitlin's like laughing, and Casey's like got this big grin on her yeah, face. Yeah, you know, she did something. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> Casey exa- is like yes. exactly you. That is exactly how. That is exactly how um, that that Kate and William's little boy is. Yeah, but he exactly. was like, and she, like, I know you've seen this. And then she like takes, she, like, she takes his coat and like she folds it in half and like puts it down and like taps it. And, like she flips her hair back. And, yeah, you know, she's like, <laughs> can you imagine? I know. I always think about like. That must be so hard because you just want to like. Well, you know, there's cameras on you. You can't right. even scratch your nose. Yeah, like you, you can't even. Yeah, exactly. Oh my and god, you can't was... make like a stern face. You yeah. can't do anything. You have yeah, to. She be... has to be like, okay, right. yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna beat your ass when we get home. You just wait, honey. Yeah, yeah. You're going. I'm dragging you behind the car. Yeah. <laughs> How many times did she said, "Don't make me, don't make me have the driver pull this car over." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I used to get that all the time. Oh yeah, I'd do be I like, need to pull the car over? I told my kids. Well, when I got the truck, I used to have like an expedition, but before that, I'm like, I can reach back there from here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's but, so funny. Anyway, so back to reality okay. here. So um, this woman's pretty cool. So one of the world's top revolutionaries for leading the fight for workers' rights, and certainly the most famous female labor activist in the 19th century, Mary. Harris Jones, otherwise known as Mother Jones, was a self-proclaimed hellraiser in the cause of economic justice. She was so voiceless that a U.S. attorney once labeled her the most dangerous woman in America. Holy shit. Mary Harris Jones was born on August 1st, 1837 in Cook, I'm sorry, in Cork, Ireland. Her father immigrated to the United States And once he obtained his citizenship, he sent for the rest of the family. Luckily, the family escaped Ireland at the height of the Great Hunger, otherwise known as the Potato Famine. You remember hearing about that? Like the Great... Well, it's Ireland. They have potatoes. I thought you were fucking with me the way you're... The expression on your face. Otherwise known as as the Potato Famine. I thought that you would get... I don't know. I've never heard of that. Rose doesn't know what the Potato Famine is. I mean, come on, man. Lynn doesn't know about Prince Harry's new book. So there's a lot of Europeans like starving to death and trying to get to the U.S. because they were so hungry. And they were like, yeah. So there was like people trying to get over here like all the time. Like people trying to come to the U.S. like in droves because there was like such famine in, in Europe. Did they build a wall to keep them out? Oh, no. No, it was huge. It was a huge wall. (laughs) It was tremendous. Tremendous. There was people from both sides. They were all good. All good. (laughs) Anyway, okay, enough of my... 
mockery. Um, so her father was working construction for the railroad and was sent to work in Toronto, Canada. So the family went with him. At this point, Mary was five years old. Mary went to grade school, then to normal school. Do you know what normal school is? <laughs> Neither did I. No. (laughs) In the United States, normal schools were developed and built primarily to train elementary level teachers for the public schools. Her first teaching job was in Michigan, in Michigan, in a convent school. She was proficient in dressmaking. So a few years later, she moved to Chicago and opened a dressmaking shop. In her words, quoted from her book, um, her autobiography, I prefer sewing to bossing little children. (laughs) Same girl, same. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Later, she moved to Memphis for another teaching job. I guess she wanted to go back. And in nine, and I'm sorry, in 1861, married George Jones, a member of the Iron Molders Union. They had four children in six years. Oh, that's rough. They never left the bedroom. I'm just saying they were they were trying to stay warm back. They only then. had to do it four times, Lynn. Calm down, Rose. I know, but they couldn't get pregnant during nine months of those years. Why? Oh, because she was already pregnant. <laughs> Yeah, but ladies and gentlemen, that does it. Sex talk, <laughs> sex talk radio, sex talk radio. What was the the, the sex talk ladies name? Oh, um, Sue something. S- no, um, mm. Doctor Ruth Wassenheimer. No, her. Doctor. Oh yeah, yeah, right. Doctor yeah. Ruth. Doctor Doctor Ruth Wassenheimer. Okay. <laughs> So in 1867, yellow fever swept through Memphis. The fever struck mostly the poor, the working, and the less fortunate. Because what happened was the rich people just like left the the like the city proper, yeah. and went to live in their like country homes and stuff. And so they were avoided this. Um, That's fever. what I'm doing in the spring. <laughs> Going to my country home. Going to your country home. Yeah. That's a great idea, Rose. Fuck off. <laughs> anyway, Mary lost all fall for all fall mama. Mary lost all four of her children at one time. <gasps> I'm sorry. Sorry. I got to go back. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Okay. God, you're going to hate me when you're editing this. Mary lost all four. Uh, <laughs> I haven't been in so long. I'm like, <laughs> okay. It's not even funny and I have to say this. Okay. Mary lost all four of her children, one at a time. She said she had washed their little bodies to get them ready for burial. Soon after the children all died, Mary's husband died too. Oh my God, how are they dying? From yellow fever. Jeez Louise. Are you not listening? No. (laughs) Um, Mary sat alone in a quiet house, only hearing the cries from neighbors as they were also losing their families. Mary dressed in black for the rest of her life. Oh my gosh. You know, my grandmother did that too. I dress all in black, too. Well, I, I would, too. So my grandmother, when my grandfather died in Italian culture, you dress in black for a certain period yeah, of time. Yeah, your mourning period. Yeah, and my grandmother always, like wore black for years and years and years after my grandfather died. Oh, that's really sad. Yeah. Um, after the soldiers came and buried her husband's body, Mary obtained a permit to help others in need of nursing care. She helped until yellow fever was eliminated. So at that point in history... You had to have a permit to enter any house that had yellow fever. Oh, wow. I'm sure they identified them in some way or shape or form. But you you had to have a permit. And she was like, well, I'm just sitting here doing nothing. So why don't I help? So she got a permit and she helped. She went into houses. And it was kind of interesting. And it didn't talk about this in her book. But um, the fact that, like, the whole family got it and died and she didn't get it. 
So now she was able to help other people. Yeah. It was kind of cool. Is but she like typhoid Mary? Yeah. Like, yeah. She like was just maybe a carrier. Well, maybe. I don't know if she's a carrier. I don't know how it worked. But yeah, I mean, she definitely helped That's other so people. That's so sad. But the fact that she like threw, I mean, you have to. Like, what are you going to do? She sat there in the quiet house, like miserable. Oh, my She's God. like, I have to do like, something. I can't even imagine. At this point, Mary returned to Chicago and resumed sewing. She opened another dressmaking shop at this time with a partner. She remembers sewing dresses for the very wealthy and looking out the window to see people starving and freezing in the streets. I mean, you think Chicago in the winter, right? Jeez, and yeah. people were dying. The imbalance between the people she was making dresses for and the people in the streets was painful to her. None of the people she worked for even seemed to care that people were freezing and starving. So people come in and be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be fitted for my dress. And, you know, she's yeah, like right. hand making clothes. And there's people literally starving to death in rags in the street. And they just didn't even care. And it was killing her. Well, I mean, yeah, that's I mean, that still happens. You know what I mean? I mean, we still go on with our lives when there are people no, on we the do. streets. It's just it's, begging for ugh. money. Then in October of 1871, Mary lost everything she owned in the Great Chicago Fire. Jesus. I'm like, what? She camped out at the lakefront with thousands of other homeless people. So everybody in the city was homeless because wow. the whole city like was in flames. That's crazy. And I was like, I didn't understand it because I was thinking it was summer because they said they had no food and the heat from the they had no food. And they were like sitting at the lakefront in this park to get the a breeze from the water. Yeah. And I was like, what? Why are they doing that? It's October because I looked it up when, yeah. when this great fire was. And it was because the heat from the flames was so really? bad that they were like going into the water. You think about how cold the water is yeah. in Chicago. In October. In a lake in yeah. October. And so they were they would go and people were going into the water just to stay cool from the Holy cow, burning buildings. Crazy. I bet it was really hot. I mean, I, I mean, like, you had to about a whole city burning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Finally, a local church opened its doors, and Mary stayed there until she found somewhere to live. While Mary was staying at the church, a nearby half-burned-down building, in a nearby half-burned-down building, she found a Knights of Labor meeting. She would go each night and listen to guest speakers. She had nothing else to do. She was like, at this point, she's like, I have nothing. Like, yeah, I've lost right. everything I have. And so, um, and then on Sundays, this group would meet in the woods for their meetings. The Knights of Labor was fighting what they called industrial slaver. Sla <laughs> Welcome, Bourbon, to the podcast. <laughs> industrial slaver. Slaver. <laughs> called industrial slavery. From 1871 and for over a 40-year period, she immersed herself in righting the wrongs faced by the American miners in campaigning for the eradication of child labor under her mantra. This is her mantra. Pray for the dead and fight like hell for the living. Oh, wow. So back in this time, kids were working in factories and stuff like that. And yeah. they were working like these ridiculous hours. It was like complete child labor. That's crazy. So in 1877, she took up the cause for working people. She focused on the rising numbers of working poor during industrialization, especially as wages shrunk, hours increased, and workers had no insurance for unemployment, health care, or old age. Her first strike, she remembers, was in Pittsburgh in the 1870s. The Baltimore and Ohio Railroad employees went on strike and sent for her to come help. She demonstrated amazing negotiating and organizational skills. During this, just like me, during this... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what you're known for. Yeah. <laughs> During, I got good oral skills. <laughs> I, 
organizational skills. (laughs) During the strike, hundreds of boxcars were soaked with oil and set on fire. The strikers were charged with rioting and arson. However, everyone knew that they did not start the fire. It was apparently hoodlums backed by the businessmen of Pittsburgh. So this this fire started in Pittsburgh and the the businessmen of Pittsburgh felt like the railroad was discriminating against their city and their businesses. So they set the fire knowing damn well that the the people on strike were going to be blamed. Jeez. Yeah. The strike prompted her to jump in with both feet in the labor movement in the labor <laughs> The strike prompted her to jump in with both feet in the labor movement. She held hundreds of strikes. Oh, my God. Lynn. <laughs> I probably should have eaten lunch. The strike promoted her Are to you jump drunk? in. I'm a little drunk. <laughs> the strike promoted <laughs> The strike promoted her to jump in with both feet into the labor movement. She led hundreds of strikes, including those that led to the Haymarket Riot in Chicago of 1886. Do you know what that is, Rose? No. Me either. So (laughs) I feel like I probably learned about all this in high school, but I was probably sleeping. I didn't go to high school. So the Haymarket Riot... I didn't go to high school. (laughs) You must be snot on myself. The Haymarket Riot, also called the Haymarket Square Riot or the Haymarket Incident, was the aftermath of a bombing that took place at a labor demonstration on May 4th, 1886 in Haymarket Square in Chicago. So there was like there was like a there was like a strike going on in this square and there were then it got bombed. So I'm confused because you said this fires in Chicago, but the fire started in Philadelphia. No, no, in no. Pittsburgh? No, I'm I'm on to another Rose. I'm on oh, to I'm I'm sorry. this okay. is a different one. This is it led to hundreds of strike, including the one in Haymarket Riot in Chicago. So oh. this is a different one. So the one in Pittsburgh So she's in Pittsburgh. She's in Pittsburgh, right. And this, okay. this for one some reason, started. I thought she was in Chicago the whole time. Okay, sorry. So she was she moved around a lot. So she was in Chicago. She went wherever they needed her, basically. Okay. So, so the Haymarket riot um, happened. She led hundreds of hundreds of strikes, including she led the one that led to the Haymarket riot. Okay. All okay. right. So the leaders of the strike at the Haymarket Square were executed, oh, even wow. though. They it wasn't them. It was somebody else who had bombed the. That's crazy. The the strike. They were striking in the square, and somebody bombed it, and all these people died. And so the people organizing the strike were were executed Jeez. for killing all these people, and they weren't the ones that dropped the bomb yeah. on the strike. It was like such. It was like all these employers were like, "No, we're going to pay you pennies on the dollar. We're going to make you work sixteen hours right, a day. Yeah. You're and you're not going to take our money away." Like this is when the United States didn't have any kind of labor laws right, at all. Yeah. So, so at this time, Chicago in Chicago, there was one strike after another. Most of the strikes were for an eight-hour workday. So before this, people were working ridiculous hours. That's crazy because I've been thinking about striking for a four-hour. I mean, four hours. <laughs> four hour work a four day. Week. Amen. Cheers, I bitch. I mean, a four day work week. <laughs> Don't you want a four day work week? One of the girls in my office works four days I'm in my department. Strike. She does, and she just so works ten hour days. She works four by tens. Christina's worked a four hour, four day work week for like ever. I mean, it's. I mean, sometimes she but works. Does she work ten but... hours? 
But I mean, she, yeah, her job is tough, though. I mean, she, when she's on, she has to be like on, on. Yeah. I mean, it's different from ours where we're yeah. like sitting at a computer. I mean, she's like dealing with people face to face like yeah. constantly. Yeah, it's a little bit different. But yeah, there's like the four by tens. I can do that at work if I want. I would totally do that. I don't know that I could. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. I can't give myself 10, 10 hours a day. I would kill Why somebody. Why not? Not kill somebody. Dude, 10 hours. That's that. only two hours more. I know, but that's a lot. Do two more hours and then you get a whole day off? I don't know. I mean, some, so what I do is I always try and put in an extra hour or so here and there. And then on Fridays, I get off like usually around noonish. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm not salary, which I would like to be, but I'm not. Um, and then right now I'm hourly. So once I hit my 40, I'm done. I shut off my computer. I'm like, see you later, guys. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> Looks like my time's up. I'm at 40 hours. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I do it all. <laughs> my, I wonder if I, my boss is so nice and I wonder if he goes, oh, my God, girl, already? But, you know, like the other night I worked until 6 o'clock. I started at 8 and I worked until 6. Yeah. And it was like that's I keep track of my time. Yeah. So I, um, I'm salary, so I, I wish I could go like part-time. Or even no time. Well, your husband <laughs> needs to find out how to get rich. I know. I keep You're telling him. So you can have a rich husband. You need to become like <laughs> owner of the company or something. No, you just need to you just need to shake things up and say, I'm going to go part-time and I want the same money. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever met my company? Yeah, no. I haven't, but <laughs> I don't want to. Okay. So... So they were on strike for an eight-hour workday. The Chicago Tribune was the main artery for the employers. So the tr- Chicago Tribune, like, oh wow, totally cool. was like breastfeeding the employers. They're yeah. Like, oh, bring it here. And some of the companies were investors in the paper. So they suggested that the farmers of Illinois poison the food of the workers who were striking. <gasps> yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. By the way, just just poison who them. They'll all die. That? that that's what the Chicago Tribune. Uh, it said at this. It said the Chicago Tribune was the main artery for the employers, and they suggested that the farmers of Illinois poison the food of the workers who were striking. What the hell? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So, one time, um, so Mary was introduced. Is her name Mary? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Mary. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> One time, Mary was getting ready to speak at a strike and she was introduced as a humanitarian. And she argued, I'm not a humanitarian. I'm a hellraiser, motherfucker. <laughs> she didn't say motherfucker. I did, but I think I think she probably thought it. Well, good for her. Maybe they didn't know that word back then. But yeah. You she, know what? She. I mean, she probably had so much anger in her because her whole family died. I mean, I can't even imagine, like, if my all my kids died, like, all of her kids died. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, her kids and then her husband. And her she husband. Was left completely alone. It's like, how do you direct your energy? And it's like, she had probably had, like, she had four kids that were sick. Like, she had four kids. So she was, like, busy, 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 like, keeping a house. Yeah. And then she had a husband and she was doing all this stuff and then, like, taking care of all them while they were sick. And then all of a sudden she had nothing. Nothing. And so she had to direct her energy somewhere. I mean. And she did it in I a really good way. I can't even imagine, like. The anger she must have in her, you know what I mean? Oh, I'd be pretty pissed. Well, and um, I'd probably just shut down and be like, "I'll just kill myself." Uh, like, yeah. if all my kids died, I can't even know. Bruce, but I know I don't want to that. I know. Okay, tr- quoted from the book, from her book that mm-hmm. I read or part of. The employers used to cry of the anarchism to kill the movement. A person who believed an eight-hour workday was, they said, an enemy to this country, a traitor, an anarchist. So, yeah, they were like, you know, so they were trying to make other people 
like hate them. They're saying, oh, they're the anarchy. Yeah, they're right. not part of this country. They're not like we don't they they don't support us, whatever. They just want an eight hour work day. Right. I'm like, can we have a four hour work day? Anyway, <laughs> so, <laughs> the city was divided into two angry camps. I wonder the, how they came up with eight hours. I don't know. You figure I mean, like, guess you think about the time of day. Like, so you figure you get in at like, let's say nine to five, right? Is like the basic. So you get in at like nine after you like have your coffee, you get in at nine and then you leave at five and then you get home in time for dinner. Like, I feel like you shouldn't be at work to miss like two meals. Like you should have breakfast with your family and dinner with your family. So they were working like 16 hour work days. Uh, They were working like ridiculous hours. Yeah. And then you think about it, though, like. And these people had a lot of these people had farms and homes and stuff they had to take care of too. That's crazy. They didn't have, like, you know, like they weren't. They didn't have like running water and electricity for the most part. Well, some of them did, but like I, I work a eight hour workday with three kids, and I can't even like. I feel like shit's going to hell. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? I know Chris told me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know what I mean, like. Can you imagine being at work for 16 hours uh, a day how, and then trying to like, well, that's how it like was where were their in, kids? When I worked in the restaurant, I was raising the girls on my own. It was, What'd you it do was with like them? survival of the fittest. It was like a game. Like Did they who, just stay home? No, they, it was like they were constantly trying to pull shit over me. And I would get home and I'd be so tired. I'd like literally go straight to bed. In case you would have friends over, there'd be parties at my house. And I was like, I swear to God, you guys, I'd walk in. I'd be like, they were playing like, like, what's that? What's Spin the, the bottle? No. Oh. Rose, beer pong or whatever on my dining room oh table, God, and I was like, pong. and I was like, I don't. Where are the keys? And there was always like a place for keys, and I would like take them with me. And I was like, I don't care. Everybody, just stay here. I don't care. But I swear to God, if you wake me up, we're gonna fight. <laughs> and then I would be like, <laughs> I'd be like sound asleep, and I'd smell like cigarette smoke or something. Like somebody was out back smoking, yeah. and it would like come in the house, and it would wake me up instantly. And I'd be like, Casey. <laughs> But, like, I just wanted to sleep. I worked so many hours. Yeah. Like, I worked That's tough. never less than 55 hours yeah. and usually 65, 70. Oh and, my God. and I was raising two teenage girls. Right. It was like. That's rough. It was rough. I'm sorry, Lynn. It was rough. The city was divided into two angry camps. The working people on one side, hungry, cold, jobless, fighting gunmen and police clubs with bare hands. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> Clubs with bare hands. <laughs> okay. The city was divided into two angry camps. <laughs> the working people on one side, and then on the other side were hungry, cold, jobless people fighting gunmen and police clubs with bare hands. <laughs> I guess that's what it's supposed to say. On the other side, <laughs> what? The employers. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh my God. I'm out. I give up. I give up right now. My story's over. <laughs> Are you crying? <laughs> I don't even know what I'm reading anymore. <laughs> God damn it. Not great. Oh my God. You're killing me, not great. <laughs> the working people. <laughs> that makes sense. That were hungry, cold, jobless, fighting gunmen in police clubs. With bare... Okay. What okay, is police clubs? Sense. That doesn't make sense. Police clubs with bare hands? Yeah. All right. Club Clubs. Okay. The city was divided <laughs> into ang- two angry camps. Okay. The working people were on one side. Okay. They were fighting police that were clubbing them to death. They were hungry, jobless, cold, and 
they had nothing but their bare hands. No oh, weapons okay. or anything All like right. that. that makes On sense. the other side, the employers, knowing neither hunger or cold, supported by the newspaper, by the police, by all the power of the great state itself. So, yeah, the employers were just like, yeah, we're going to sit here in our big fucking mansions while you guys starve to death and work your fingers to the literal bone for us to live in our mansions. I feel like not much has changed. Yeah, it hasn't changed (laughs) a lot either, has it? Um, Anyway, so on Christmas Day in Chicago, hundreds of poor people showed up in rags, dirty, starving, and holes in their shoes, marched in a parade down the street lined with mansions of the employers carrying black flags. Oh, good for them. I was like, yes. I mean, you think about Christmas in Chicago, though, Rose. I mean, they're literally, they were wearing, like, thin clothes. They were, like, in rags. Right. And, and you know, like, freezing. barely. And I can't even imagine. It's probably, like, negative five. So at this point, uh, Mary Bree briefly paused to publish The New Right in 1899. I remember learning about that in high school. And a two-volume letter of love and labor in 1900 and 1901. The workers were so fond of her, they nicknamed her Mother Jones. Beginning in 1900, she focused on miners organizing the coal fields of West Virginia and Pennsylvania. When she tried to hold meetings in local churches or other buildings, they would be canceled. At that time, the railroad and the and the mine owners owned the entire town where the workers lived. So, you know, like they'd open up a facility in a town and they would own every they would own right. the whole town, yeah. everything. So all the buildings were owned by them. So when they would try and have a, a meeting for a union, they would have to cancel it or the because the owner of the building would be like, if you have this meeting here, we're taking it away. You can't yeah, have they it. have like there nowhere was, to do There it. was one meeting where they were going to have in a, like there was a church given to black people in this town. And the black people said that they could use their church to have the union meeting. And then, then they came back and said the the owner of the company, I can't remember if it was a mine or a mill or whatever, said that if we let you have it here, they're going to take it away from us and not let us use it. Oh, my it. God. So they couldn't have meetings. So she said, I'll show you, motherfuckers. So she have it in the woods. All the buildings were owned by them. So she had the workers meet her in the middle of an intersection on a public road. <laughs> she said, nobody can stop us here. This is a public road. That's awesome. She was pretty badass. So in 1903, she went to Kens- Kensington, Pennsylvania, where 75,000 textile workers were on strike. Holy that shit. That is insane. Like the number, like I was like, what? I like read it twice. <laughs> At least, no, this is going to make you sick. At least 10,000 were little children. Oh, my God. The workers were on strike for more pay and shorter hours. She would see small children coming into the headquarters of the union with missing hands and fingers, <gasps> malnourished and timid. She was frustrated because Pennsylvania had passed a law that children couldn't work before the age of 12. And she knew by looking at these children, all of them were under the age of 10. Oh, my God. She's like, this is disgusting. She said the newspapers... She asked the newspapers to write stories about the children and their labor and the awful labor, but they wouldn't because the mill owners own stock in the newspapers. Oh, my gosh. She spoke out and directed it to President Roosevelt. She said 50 years ago, there was a cry against slavery and men gave up their lives to stop the selling of black children on the block. Today, the white child is sold for $2 a week to the manufacturers. Oh, my God. At one point, she was speaking to a crowd of people and a police officer came up to her and said, this cracked me up. Excuse me, I've been sent to arrest you because she was like leading a strike. Yeah. And she told the officer, you just wait a minute. 
you wait a minute, sir. Um, I have to finish my speech. <laughs> Once she was done, he said, oh, she said, OK, I'm ready to go. She said, see you later, boys, to all the strikers. And she said, I'm being arrested. So they had, went on this long journey to on a train ride to the jail and they got to the jail and the head, uh, all the leaders of the strike, the men and her got off the train and yeah. the men went one way and she went the other. And she had one like police officer with her. And she's like, um, where where are we going? And he's like, well, we're going to a hotel. You're not going to jail. And she goes, oh, I don't think so. We're going to jail. If, if you're taking me to jail, we're going to jail. Why would and he's like, no, ma'am, you're going to go to a hotel. The men are going to go to a jail. But she was like, no, you're if you're going to take me to jail for striking, you're taking me. You're treating me exactly oh, wow. the way you are the men. Why were they going to take her to a hotel? Because she was a woman. And they weren't going to put her in jail. They didn't have like a well, they, yeah, jail they weren't going to put her in jail for. She's a woman, so like they were like they didn't know what to do with a woman who spoke out yeah, back right. then, right? Yeah. So um, I don't even know where I was because I totally went off on a tangent. So the shit when she got to the jail, the sheriff and his wife took her in as their guest and said, "Absolutely, she won't sleep in the jail because <laughs> <laughs> she's a woman." So she like caved into that, but she was not leaving the men in jail. Yeah. And she was going to a hotel. So for a few years, she was employed by the United Mine Workers, but left when the national leadership wouldn't support a wildcat strike in Colorado, which I was like, what's a wildcat strike? So a wildcat strike is when a group of workers strike without the approval of the union first. They just like, we're going and they just walk out. They're just wildcats. Yeah, they're wildcats. When there's in Colorado, wildcats, I'm like, what could this be? So yeah, that's what it was. (laughs) After a decade in the West, she returned to Virginia, West Virginia, where after a violent strike in ni- that lasted from 1912 to 1913, at age 83, she was convicted of conspiracy to commit murder. Public appeals on her behalf convinced the governor to commute her 20-year sentence. Afterwards, she returned to Colorado and made a national crusade out of the tragic events during the Ludlow Massacre, even lobbying President Woodrow Wilson. Later... Later, she participated in several industrial strikes on the East Coast between 1915 and 1919. And I mean, at this point, she's like over 80 years old. That's crazy. Even though she was quite radical, she did not support women's suffrage, which goes way against everything else we've talked <laughs> That's about. That's weird. I, when I read that, I was like, wait, no. <laughs> but she stated, I mean, everybody has their opinion. Yeah. You don't need a voice to raise hell. I'm sorry. You don't need a vote to raise hell. Oh, which is true. She noted that the women of Colorado had the right to vote and failed to use it to prevent the horrible conditions that led to labor violence. Oh, okay. yeah. So, you know, they could have voted. They didn't. Yeah. And then they had all this labor issue, these labor issues. She argued that suffragists. <laughs> I don't like this, but she argued that suffragists were naive women who unwitt- unwittingly acted as duplicitous agents of class war- warfare. I mean, everybody has their own fight. Yeah. I guess, you know. Although she organized working class women, she kept them aside. She believed that a woman's place was in the home unless the union needed them. So if the union needed them to come march, they came and marched. But otherwise, they should be home while their men and their husbands could work. That's interesting. It is. A reflection of her Catholic heritage, she believed that men should be paid well enough that that women could devote themselves to motherhood. In 1925, she published her autobiography of Mother Jones, she died on November 30th, 1930, in Maryland. She's buried in the Union Miners Cemetery in Mount Olive, Illinois. 
some of the famous quotes that she had. Some of these are funny. My address is like my shoes. It travels with me. I abide where there is a fight against wrong. I am not afraid of the pen or the scaffold or the sword. I will tell the truth wherever I please. God Almighty made women at the Rockefellers. I'm sorry. God Almighty made women and the Rockefellers gang of thieves may the ladies <laughs> sit down and read educate yourself for the coming conflicts reformation like education is a journey not a destination i have i have never had a vote and i have raised hell all over this country you don't need a vote to raise hell you need convictions and a voice which is very true a teacher treated me as a diamond in the rough someone who needed soothing smoothing i'm sorry if they want to hang me let them and on the scaffold i will shout freedom for the working class wow i wonder if some of her views came from you know she probably wanted to be just a mother at home while her husband right. worked and yeah. that was ripped away from I her mean, because her husband worked for the railroad right so you know i mean i just think that i mean it it's weird to me that she doesn't believe in women's rights and the suffrage movement but like the fact that she says you know you don't need a vote to raise your voice and women felt that way i mean they were they were made to feel that way yeah you know you, and maybe she saw like well like, as what like she a, did. a richer women woman's cause you know what i right. mean like, well i mean think about think about like um she was fighting for the the poor people right so think about like um on mary poppins when the mother Right. At Mary Poppins, like they were very wealthy. Yeah. The kid, you know, the family. Yeah. And she was like a big suffragist and she was all for women voting and stuff like that. It's like, oh, we're going to vote. We're going to, you know, and she was more for like the reality of let the husband make enough money that he can support the family and the mother can be a mother to the children. And, you know, as much as I, you know, whether or not I agree with what she said, it's not it's not important what it is important is that she spoke out for what she believed yeah, was right. unjust yeah and and she made a difference well and the kids like the kids that were working in these mills right yeah like oh my god so now it like makes me think like i'm reading this like i'm reading her book and i'm thinking i wonder if there was kids that ever worked in the mill in woolen mills here in charlottesville oh, right probably. so like i mean that was an old old mill if you yeah. look at the house, like it's definitely this time right yeah. so I, now I'm like it like makes me want to go down these rabbit holes, and I need to start like a little journal for myself of things that I want to read eventually. Like <laughs> that would be because, like super long by now. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like because of this podcast, I feel like I definitely want to read more into this. I finally started listening to the podcast that you about Cooper Island. Oh, Cooper Island, Cooper Island. Oh, oh my, god, my gosh, it makes me, yeah. I was sick to my stomach. So on the second episode, really, I was yeah, physically sick. Yeah, that's it's a tough one. You have to read. Um, Finding, I said it was Chloe, but it's not. It's Cleo, I think. Finding Cleo, that's another one you sh- you need to listen to. I don't know. I just was like, I don't know. It just, it was, it. You know, I, I, I never thought about it. Like I, and honestly, I didn't pay attention at school, so I'm sure I learned about it, but I don't remember. But like all these, you know, employment and labor issues. Yeah, right. I, like I never thought about it. Like there was no fucking OSHA back then. <laughs> yeah, and it, I mean, so much has changed. And the kids are losing their fingers in these right. I mean, and we stuff. complain about you know eight hour workdays, and they're like, yeah, working sixteen hour workdays and not not getting breaks and yeah. getting hands cut off. Oh, and they weren't making any money. They right. weren't even making enough money to support their family. Right. Yeah. They were working, and the the mill owners and the factory owners were making shit tons of money. Yeah. Like they were making money hand over fist to living in these big mansions, and I then know. people were just like. 
like poor on the street. Yeah. It was and, so bad. You know, it's on a different scale now, but it's still the same. No, it's definitely. Like, yeah. You know, Kroger, like, or every grocery store jacks up their prices and they're like, oh, well, inflation, inflation. But their profits are huge. And they're not paying their employees right. anymore. And they're not they're paying not. their employees anything. And yeah. it's like, I don't know. It's sickening. It's pretty gross. But yeah, it has pretty. changed a lot because of women like her. So Yes. Be Thank you, Mother Jones. Them. Thank you, Mother Jones. Right, you ready to take a little break and have some din yeah, we're going to take a break. All right. See you later. Bye. Peace out. Welcome back. Welcome back. We're back. We're back. Oh my god. Jingling a ding. You have to cut that animal out. Okay. Out of its misery. Bye. So, Rose, who are you going to tell me about today? No one. No one? I'm just going to sit here in silence. Well, I got the bottle of Knob Creek right here. I'll just do shots. (laughs) Let me know know when you're ready. (laughs) All right. You ready? Girl has bone ready. Okay. I was born ready. Were you? Are you ready for some good time? Are you going to pay attention or are you going to be looking at your computer the whole time? I'm looking at homemade bread right now. Oh, my God. Okay. I'm going out of it. I'm All right. Go anything. out of it. Bye-bye. Close your computer. I don't trust you. Uh, I'm not going to close it, but I'm, I'll just. Okay. There we go. Okay. I'm, oh, shit. Okay. Go ahead. You can talk. I'm just, I just realized. I don't want to talk if you're not fully paying attention to me. I need 100% attention on me. I need 100% of your attention on me. (laughs) No, what I am going to do while you're talking is I'm going to send you in the drop file the things that I need to send you. Anyway, go ahead. In 2002. Oh, I'm sorry. Were you starting? That was disgusting. (laughs) I'm going to leave that in so that you'll be embarrassed. I won't be embarrassed. You know that. Try again. <laughs> in 2002, Scott Mc... I don't know how to, if it's Laughlin or Laughlin. Laughlin. Laughlin? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what I thought. But yeah. then I was like, maybe it's laugh. Laugh. Right. I love to laugh. Ho, 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 ho. Remember that from Mary Poppins? No. <sighs> I've watched Mary Poppins like once when I was a kid. Well, we'll be watching that on the girls weekend. No, we Absolutely. won't. Absolutely. Yes, we will. No, we won't. Dick... Van Dyke is in it. We should watch Pollyanna. Christina made me watch that when I was no, we're not watching Have Pollyanna. you ever watched Pollyanna? I'm not watching that crap. Yeah. That's her favorite movie. It's so not what the world is like. Well, according to Pollyanna, it is. Yeah, well, and where did that get her? <laughs> Absolutely nowhere. <laughs> All right. In 2002, Scott McLaughlin met Beverly Gunther, and the two quickly began a relationship and moved in together. Their relationship was rocky, and they would, they're one of those couples that would break up and get back together and break up and get back together. You know what I'm talking about, Lynn. Who, me? No, never. Nope. Nope. <laughs> never had it. Never, never did never it. Did that, nope. Right? Nope. <laughs> Their relationship officially ended in spring of 20. Oh, that's not how you say that. Spring of 2003, but they would s- stop typing. You're going to be able to hear that on the microphone. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll stop. I'll stop. Okay. I can send it later. All right. Their relationship officially ended in the spring of 2003, but they would still see each other sometimes because they were in like the same social circles. Okay. 
On October 27, 2003, Scott broke into Beverly's house and he was arrested. Um, hello? That's not where you live, motherfucker. He said he was there, like, oh, he's... getting stuff that he had left. Oh, you know? I thought maybe he was just going to feed the fish or something. No, no. Mm-hmm. He had left stuff there, so he was oh, he was getting it. He wasn't doing it to, like, stalk her or anything. Oh, no, no, no. 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 Never. So she was scared the shit out of her, and she got a restraining order on him. On him, As she should. Because he was also, like, bothering her and stuff in other ways. On November 20th, 2004... He broke the protective order, waited for her at work, and when she came out, like, he would actually go to her work very often and, like, hide, like, even in the building. He would hide. Hide outside the building. He was just stalking her. So she comes out. He forces her to the ground, rapes her. Did she have something of his? No. He was just obsessed with her. Oh, okay. He rapes her and stabs her repeatedly with a butcher's knife. Mm. Then he drags her body to the car, places it in his trunk, and drives it to the river to dump it. In her, tr- in his trunk. Yeah. When he gets to the river, he realizes that the underbrush um, was too thick, so he couldn't actually get her body into the river, and so he just leaves it on the riverbank. And then he walks back to his car and realizes that he has a flat tire, so he just like goes to sleep in his car. <laughs> you know, you know what that is. That's my nanny. That would happen to God you. God, to punish you. <laughs> That would happen to Lynn if she yeah, coached him. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> I'm sorry. What's wrong? Your caliper is stuck, so your car's brakes are always on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that has nothing to do with the story. I just thought it was funny because it's like. It's just so. No, it's it's karma. That's <laughs> yeah. straight up karma. Right. I love it. So he, he went to sleep in his car next to the he dead just, body. Yeah, element. like slept in his car right by where he oh dropped her body. God. No sociopath there. <laughs> so the next day he goes um, to the hospital to get medication because he's having like increased nervousness and hyperactivity. Wait, what? I, I don't know why. It's not like he just murdered his ex-girlfriend. It's not like he killed anybody. <laughs> um, somehow the police, the police like, I think they found, they must have found the body. There's not a lot of information on this. But they must have found the body, and then um, they tracked him down to the, whole, to the hospital and arrest him. They search his car and find out that he has, like, bleached the entire car. I do, and... I do that every week, don't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's my regular cleaning. Yeah. I bleach my car every week. Yeah. <laughs> and he cut out um, large sections of fabric from the back seat. That's how I clean my car, Rose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, they were able to get blood samples because he didn't, like, get all the blood in the car. And it was obviously linked to Beverly. So he was charged with first-degree murder, forcible rape, two counts of armed oh criminal action. This is very interesting to me. So two counts of armed criminal action, one arising from the murder charge and the other arising from the rape charge. So he got two charges for... Using a gun while he or using a knife while he raped her and then using a knife to kill her. Isn't that interesting? Wow, that's interesting. That's I didn't know that they did that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the more the merrier. Yeah. He was tried by a jury and they found him guilty of first degree murder, forcible rape and armed criminal action arising from the first degree murder. But he was acquitted of the armed criminal action charge arising from the rape. So he was. He didn't get in. Probably negotiated something. Yeah. Yeah, with the prosecutor, I'm sure. During the penalty phase of the trial, the jury heard this is heavy on like trial stuff. FYI. That's okay. 
bring it. I didn't want it like to go too depressing this week. <laughs> I know. Well, last week was tough, and it was it was. I mean, it was tough. It was just know. you know, it's it was it was really, you know, not to totally sidetrack, but it was really important to hear. Yeah, it was. But God, it was fucking sad. Yeah, it was just so sad. And 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 like we said, the fact that we're neither one of us were drinking. I mean, not that there was anything funny about it. But we just, it was just so solemn. It was, yeah, yeah. it was. It was just, very, it was yeah. heavy. That's why I, I can't go, like, I think we talked about this last week. I can't go to the um, Holocaust, the Holocaust Museum. museum I, don't, yeah. I don't, I would be a freaking, ma- I mean, maybe it is good to go and see, but ugh, it's just the thought of it makes me all well up I know. and get it's, it's, no. it's rough. Yeah, no thanks. I can't do it. So during the penalty phase of the trial, the jury heard victim impact evidence from Beverly's family and extensive evidence about Scott's troubled and abusive childhood. Shocking. He was abused as a child. His biological father was an alcoholic and was abusive toward his mother, who was a sex worker. Mm. When he was taken into state custody, he lived in multiple foster homes until the age of five when he and his younger brother and sister were placed with Louise and Harlan McLaughlin who eventually adopted them. And when he was in foster care, it was like he was abused in foster care, too. There was one, like, incident where one of the foster families, like, rubbed feces on his face. Oh, my God. Yeah, like, awful shit. What year was this? Um, to Early 2000s. Oh, my oh God. when he was a kid, it was, like, the 90s, I guess. But still, yeah. it's like the... It's like, why are... Yeah. Oh, my God. My grandmother was a foster parent and she was the great like she was so good to well as far as i knew i mean i was so little but i feel like she was so good to all the foster kids and it just makes me sick like, I why are you fostering it. kids if you're gonna no, they do it for the money yeah i guess so it's like it's disgusting they take the money they don't feed the kids with it yeah. they you know like these people that are ugh, anyway i'm sorry i can't I just unfortunately his adoptive parents were also abusive <laughs> his adoptive father a police officer would hit him with a paddle referred to as the board of education Oh, my God. And would use his taser and nightstick on him. So he'd taser him. They would limit the children's access to food by locking the refrigerator and cabinet doors, and their house was referred to by Scott's childhood friends as the House of Horrors. Mm. Oh, God. So during the penalty phase, the defense also presented expert testimony regarding his psychological and mental problems to the jury. A psychologist testified about the extensive intelligence testing the doctor performed, a doctor performed on him when he was nine years old due to poor, poor performance and peculiar behavior at school. I, I, I can't imagine my I know. Rose. I mean, he had a perfect life. I don't know what was wrong with him. The testing indicated that he had a full-scale IQ of 82, which is the low average range. That's really low. He, but he was mine. I mean, is that still low? Eighty-two is pretty low. Is it? Okay. I don't know how. Well, I don't know how it works. Like, I, I shouldn't say that. I don't know exactly how it works. Is like, like your is IQ, he giving nine-year-old information that yeah, he like should his, know and should right. it be like? A normal, I feel like your IQ right. is not not based on like you know an IQ of a nine-year-old is different than an IQ like. Uh, never mind. I don't even know what I'm saying. I know what you're saying. Like, it should be the like uh. You know, it's a nine-year-old have the IQ of a nine-year-old. Is he an IQ of a five-year-old? Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. That's. I, but I don't know. So, so I bring it up, but I can't tell. He you. was also diagnosed with ADHD, expressed language disorder, and adjustment disorder with depressed features. I can't imagine why. He was also evaluated when he was nine by a pediatrician um, for neurodevelopmental impairments. 
it was found that he suffered from brain impairment, which, um, although the cause could not be determined, that pediatrician testified that he suffered from cognitive limitations, language limitations, and attentional limitations. I wonder if these these things were developed from lack of nutrition and abuse, like Oh yeah, I'm like sure his it was, brain didn't develop yeah, properly right. because I'm of sure. these things. I mean, it makes sense, right? They were probably like hitting him upside the head. <sighs> the doctor also testified that the abuse and neglect Scott was exposed to as a child led to neurodevelopmental problems such as low IQ, oh, difficulty what... with language, issues with visual, spatial cognition, and symptoms of attention deficit disorder with hyperactivity. As an adult, he was diagnosed with major depression, antisocial personality disorder, and borderline personality disorder. And this is what happens when you leave kids in abusive homes and then and don't do anything about it. Well, I just feel like so I here's the thing. So I feel like the social um like social workers are way overworked and way underpaid. Oh, yeah, we sure. all know that. And I feel like they find somebody that says, yeah, I'll take a kid. I'll take a baby. And, you know, they show up somewhere. There's a, I'm just throwing a scenario out there. They, the police show up at a house. There's a drug bust. The mother and father are making meth, right? So they go in and there's four kids in there. And so they, they call the social worker and a social worker comes out and is like, we have to place four kids tonight. Like, right. Yeah. What are we going to do? Like, we have four children that need to sleep tonight. So they're going to go with the first person that says, yes, I'll take right. them I for know. the most part. I know. It's, it's and, a- you know, like, but are they properly, evalu- properly evaluated? Are they properly? I mean, like, I feel like there's always these, you know, you hear about these visits and like they yeah. get monitored and stuff. But there's I'm I mean, sure they have to overlook the, the hard family. Prime example. Yeah. They're not being monitored enough. Right. But they don't have enough. Like, why is our country not putting money into protecting these children? Yeah. These children and not to be like cliche are our future. Right. And these, then we're spending money on defending them in court because or we're giving money um, not that or I'm, putting them in jail because they have had these horrible lives. Right. And then we pay for them to be in jail for their right. whole life yeah. instead. Wouldn't it make more sense to put money into them earlier? Right. So they could be like successful human beings, productive human beings. This is a tremendous problem, Rose. It's disgusting. So, after hearing all the evidence in the penalty phase, the jury deliberated and made its findings. The jury found in step one that the statutory aggravating factor of depravity of mind had been proven beyond a reasonable doubt. In step two, the jurors did not find unanimously that the mitigating factors outweighed the aggravating factors. So they were saying, like, because of his childhood, that that didn't outweigh what he did. You know what right. I mean? Like, so just because he was treated that way as a child doesn't make it okay to yeah. do what he did. Right. I the, mean, it makes sense. Yeah. But, Therefore, I mean, or am I saying that backwards? Except to the jurors did not find unanimously. So basically, what you're, tell me if you're... Tell me if I'm wrong. So you're saying that the jury said that, yeah, he did have a shitty life or because he had a shitty life doesn't mean it's OK that he did what he did. Right. Yeah. OK. Yeah. So I mean, that makes sense. I mean, he still understands right from wrong. Right. Yeah. I'm sure they evaluated. Therefore, the jurors proceeded to step three, which directed them to determine whether death was warranted under all the circumstances. The jurors were unable to agree. Yeah. As to the punishment. So they it was a hung jury. I mean, I kind of agree with that because I feel like. Although he might know right from wrong, I don't know that he has the capacity, the mental capacity, based on what I've learned, right, yeah. to understand the consequences of something like that. Right. And the I mean? mitigating factors being that he 
was abused as a child, like what where else was he supposed to go in life? You yeah, know what he I mean? was probably abusing her like he was abused and thinking, why aren't you loving me back? Yeah, right. I'm giving you I'm being so much nicer to you than I was treated. Right. You know, it's exactly. like, yeah, he probably hasn't. There's. Yeah. OK, so after com- considering all of the evidence, including the aggravating factor of depravity of mind of mind fo- found by the jury. Oh, my God. After is your name Lynn? Is your name Lynn? After Can you talk? considering all of the evidence, including the aggravating factor of depravity of mind found by the jury, the trial judge sentenced Scott to death. The trial judge. So it was a hung jury, and then the trial judge decided that he was, or whatever. Yeah, or whatever the word. That, there's there's another word for that. It's not overrode it, but it's like some other. So term. though most de- death penalty states require a unanimous jury vote for death. According to the Death Penalty Information Center, Missouri law states that a non-unanimous vote, jury vote is a hung jury, which can trigger the statutory provisions that allowed Scott's trial to independently oppose, impose sentence. Wow. So a trial judge, sorry, to imp- independently impose sentence. So because it was a hung jury, the, it was up to the judge to decide what the... Um, wow. consequence was I just, what which you, is crazy what do you think do you think I mean this is a jury of his peers and they said we can't make that decision but then the judge turns around and says I can right. who's not his peer right it's like a little loophole yeah because I feel like the judge isn't his peer the so judge that's is what very this whole story is about like that that's that, I mean, that judge one person can decide that for this man I don't and feel say, I don't like this Rose I don't I don't I don't like it because I don't feel like like I said, the judge is not his peer. Right. One. Two, I think that he knows what he did was wrong, but I don't know if he understands the consequences and the, you know, the long term of what he did. Like, right. I don't think he, I definitely think he needs to go to jail. I definitely think he needs mental help. I definitely think he needs. But the death penalty is heavy. I think the death penalty is yeah. a lot for this. And I think. um you know, when you have a rough childhood, you have a lot of anger and you have a lot of like explosive anger. Yeah. And and yeah. if you're not going to therapy and dealing with that, I mean, even I had that, you know what I mean? And oh, yeah. my childhood was nowhere near what his was. Yeah. No, I mean, I absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, I think we all have those. I feel like, you know, I mean, it's 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 not OK yeah. that he did it. But right. at the same time, it's like. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's I mean, a rough. He knew better, but he. I don't know that he understood the full consequence. Yeah. Of his and actions. then yeah, you add in the low IQ, and it's like yeah. That, I mean, that's the right. the low IQ is kind of like you know not understanding consequences, not right. uh, not figure working out in your mind what's going to happen if you do A, then you don't understand what hap- what B, C, and D right. are. Yeah. Right. You can't like you can't. Put and it those was things more together. of an explosive thing where it wasn't like. Like a serial killer where they were like, I'm going to go out and yeah. kill people. Well, and the other thing is, too, is that can he like if <laughs> this is kind of like what if the system would have put the money toward him at the beginning? We wouldn't be here now to right, have to put yeah. the money toward him in right, prison exactly. for the rest of his life. If they would have and found it him a, a lot of money home. to execute somebody. Right. If he would have been put in a good foster home and then right. a good adoptive home and he, yep. we wouldn't be here because... I'm sure he wouldn't have these issues. Well, we'd still be here, but it'd be a different person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so about let's get that perfectly clear, Rose. <laughs> about three years ago, 
Scott began began transitioning in prison. That's why oh. it sounds like I'm doing a story on a man. Um, according to a fellow inmate, Jessica Hicklin. So Jessica won a lawsuit in 2018 against the Missouri Corrections Department challenging a policy that prohibited hormone therapy for inmates who were not receiving it before they were incarcerated. So he wanted to start transitioning in in prison and uh-huh. wasn't allowed to initially, initially because he wasn't receiving the therapy before he got into prison. Uh-huh. But she... She won this lawsuit in 2018 and had that law changed. Was it in the same state? Was it in She was in Missouri? prison with him, yeah. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So Jessica said she rarely spoke to when Scott transitions. He changes his name to Amber. Okay. So Jessica said she rarely spoke to Amber before her transition because she was so shy. Jessica and Amber started spending time together before because Jessica was offering her guidance about how to file paperwork for proper proper treatment oh my god i'm having trouble yeah and access to mental health counseling as well as advice on about safety within the prison so not to interrupt rose too late (laughs) (laughs) but i I, my heart goes out i mean like again he committed a crime whatever i mean it's i'm not saying what he did was okay i'm not condoning it but to go through something like this in prison has to be horrendous. Right. I mean, horrendous. Like, your normal people are treated like and beat up and. Oh, you yeah. Know, and then you're with like a whatever. bunch of men. And then you're saying you're in a prison with a bunch of men. You're like, I think I want to be a woman. Well, what are the men going to do? Right. You know what they're going to do. Yeah, and right. it's awful. I just, it makes me and physically if he ill. And if he's been having these feelings his entire life, That's imagine, probably, yeah. Like that. Probably messed him up even more. Yeah, made him more angry. Right, right. Than the than his brothers and sisters. Well, you know damn well his, his sounds like his foster families weren't embracing that. With right, him, yeah. Right. If they, they knew, he probably right. did something maybe a little feminine or to show like what he was like wanting, yeah, and they were and like they beat the him. shit out of him or whatever. Yeah. Ay ay ay. Jessica said of Amber, definitely a vulnerable person. Definitely a. <laughs> Did I say that word? <laughs> Jessica said of Amber. <laughs> definitely a vulnerable person. Definitely afraid of being assaulted assaulted or victimized, yeah. which is more common for trans folks in the Department of Corrections. Oh, my God. Hell yeah. I can't yeah. even imagine. I just like I said, can't imagine. In 2016, a federal district court judge vacated Amber's death sentence because expert testimony and evidence of her mental health experiences were never presented in the sentencing phase of the trial. But the decision was reversed in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit Circuit in 2021. So can I ask you a question? What was, does it talk at all about how her family was during all this, like when the, the sentence got vacated, did they talk about her family or anything um, like that? In Amber's any of this? family or yeah. Beverly's? Beverly's family. Like, um, they wanted her to be put to death. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I guess. They wanted justice. Yeah, I understand that. I well, understand what that. they th- What they thought, thought was, justice. was justice. Right. Yeah. Okay. And I, I totally get that. I mean, I do. I mean, yeah. yeah. I'm, who I'd am I to say same. what they want? I'd for right. sure want the same. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Advocates ex- express concern that Amber would be put to death even though the jury was not unanimous. An online petition for clemency supported by the organization Missourians for Alternatives to the Death Penalty called the decision a gross misuse of judicial power. 
They weren't convinced that Amber deserved the most severe punishment the justice system can offer, the petition said. But because of Missouri's legal loophole, the trial judge was able to overrule the deadlock jury and impose a death sentence on for Amber. In a letter to Governor Mike Parson, Missouri Democratic Representatives Corey Bush and Emmanuel Cleaver sent a letter on December 27th to Parson urging him to commute Amber's sentence due to injustices in her sentencing. Miss McLaughlin's Miss McLaughlin. Oh my God, I can't say that. No. You want some more? Here, some more <laughs> Do you want some more bourbon, Rose? Bourbon. Rose? I'm having to concentrate. Bourbon. <laughs> Very hard right now. Miss McLaughlin's cruel ex- execution would mark the state's first use of the death penalty on a woman since the U.S. Supreme Court reinstated capital punishment in 1976. So they were actually calling her a woman at this point. Yeah. Wow. And even worse, it would not solve any of the systematic problems facing Missourians and people all across America, including anti-LGBTQ plus hate and violence and cycles of violence that target and harm women, the letter Mm. said. Um, Mr. Governor Mike Parson said, too bad. I don't care. On January 3rd, 2023, so just a few days ago. Oh, my God. At 49 years old, Amber was put to death by lethal injection. Aww. That's how I found this this um, story. Amber said in her final written statement, I am sorry for what I did. I am a loving and caring person. Well, now that she's come to terms with her self and her identity. Yeah. And- maybe had some mental health. And I'm, you know, again, I'm not condoning what she did at all. I'm not. No, it was um, brutal. But fuck, she had a rough life. I know. It it sucks. I mean, either way it sucks. So, you want to know about her last meal? I do want to know about her last meal. I do. I was thinking about that. I'm like, I wonder if she knows the last you meal. Have is. Any, you have any guesses? <laughs> um what does she sound like to you? She sounds like she wanted a cheese. Oh no, it's either a shut a, up a cheeseburger or a cheeseburger and maybe a baked potato. Her last meal was a cheeseburger. <laughs> shut up! Are you serious? <laughs> that's crazy. How did you know that? French fries. <laughs> oh my god, that's a so strawberry funny. milkshake and oh, peanut M and M's. That's so funny because I feel like I feel like she was a very simple person. Yeah. I don't think she. I don't. I feel like that's so funny that you said cheeseburger. <laughs> I was thinking a steak, but then I was like, no, she probably wanted something more basic, like a cheeseburger, because she was a very basic that person like something before I would that. From my I last meal. No, I would, I would want a steak and, and lobster. But um, I just, it just, she is a failure of the system. She is an absolute failure of the system. Right. She committed a crime. She knew what she did. She knew when she was doing it that it was wrong. However, the system failed her. Over and over yeah. and over again. And that's so and fucked up. And how many up. women that we've talked about have been failed yeah. by the system? Well, and I, you know, Beverly's family, my heart goes out to them. I'm so sorry. Like, that's awful that they've had to endure this and like, and you know, them like commuting the sentence and then putting it back and then doing this oh, yeah, and doing right. that. Like, I'm that sure had to be tough. horrendous for them. Yeah. But at the same time, I feel like the system has done nothing but screw this woman over. Right. And, and now she dies because of it. Basically, I mean, and she was never allowed to be her her true self, you know. Yeah, it's really, really, really sad. It is really sad. I mean, I just I don't know. I feel like there's, you know, there's so many things that we're missing in this country. I saw a thing today on um, uh, maybe it was TikTok. It was like one of those (laughs) things where it's like 
basically shit cops do or something. And oh, it was <laughs> this this female cop pulls over and she jumps out of the car and she says to this 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 blind man who's walking down the street and he has his cane. Yeah. Like, you know how they fold into like yeah, right. small. They like break into pieces like and he had his back pocket. And she's like, sir, sir. Can you um, put your hand like I don't know what she said, but then she was like, what's what's in your back pocket, sir? And he was like, it's my cane. It's my like whatever he said. He he didn't call it his cane, but he was like my walking walking stick. Or like, something. you yeah. know, it was something it was like a, a technical term for like a blind person's walking. Cane. Yeah, right. And um, she thought it was a gun when she was driving down the street. It looked like a gun and he wasn't carrying it correctly. And she was feeling like it was dangerous, yeah. which is OK. Um, and so she pulled him, you know, she, he was walking and she stopped and, and she's like, what is that? And he's like, it's my, it's my cane, basically, whatever he said. Right. And then she's like, well, um, do you have an ID on you? I, I, I what's your ID? I want, I want to see your ID. And was he's he like, black? I, I, no, he wasn't. Oh, wow. But she was like, I want to see your ID. And he's like, no, you don't have to see my ID. Am I arrested? And she's like, no. And he's like, well, why do you, you don't need my ID? And she's like, show me your ID. And he's like, I want to see your supervisor. Well, her supervisor was already there. I don't know if they were in the car together. I don't know. So he walks up and he's like, you're not going to show her your ID? And he's like, no, I don't need to. I'm not being arrested. I haven't arrested. I haven't done anything wrong. She came up because she thought I had a gun. She's seen that it's not a gun. That it's a walking cane. Right. And he's literally just walking on the side of the road. Yeah, he's literally walking on the road, a blind man, like walking down the sidewalk. And she was like, and the cop's like, so the the supervisor's like, are you going to give her your ID? And he's like, no, I don't have to. Because you don't right. have to. And so they were like, okay, and they cuffed him. What? And then they were like, and then they, so then they went in his pockets. He goes, you can't go in my pockets. That's illegal search and seizure. And yeah. they were like, um, and they were like, oh, here's your ID, blah, blah, blah. And so they got his ID and they ran his ID oh and everything. And, and it's like, what the fuck? Why do they have such a chip on their shoulder? It's like, why do they do that? Like, once she, I, I get 100% that she thought he had a gun in his back pocket, and that's not a safe way to carry a gun. Right. And But once she found that it wasn't a gun, she, she should have moved been on. like, have a good day. I'm sorry, you know. Yeah. And she's like, what are you doing? He was like, I walked to the courthouse because I had jury duty. Oh and I wasn't God. selected. I had to walk in the dark, so I had my cane. She goes, why aren't you using it now? He goes, because I don't need it when it's light out because I can see figures or whatever he said. Okay. He said something like, yeah. but he needed it in the morning and it was dark because obviously he doesn't drive because he's blind. Right. And or like legally blind. And it was just like, why? Like oh the system God. is so fucked up. And then her supervisor was there and allowing her to do this yeah. stuff. And That's crazy. I just like, and they ended up putting him in the car. Oh my god! And taking him down because, and <laughs> I hope that Poor man God, owns a like, whole fucking police yeah, department. I swear sure to you, if there's a GoFundMe, I will put it on a credit card. I will give him <laughs> any amount of money. It just infuriates me the way the system shits on people. So when my um, brother was in fifth grade, I think it was fifth grade, he was on a field trip, and he had he has ADHD, and he gets a little crazy. He was like a crazy kid, you know what I mean, like. So they were on a field trip and somehow, some reason he had rocks and he threw a rock out the school, the bus window, like his teacher, I think, told him to get rid of the rocks. Oh, so he threw and he threw out the window. bus window and it hit a cop. Oh. <gasps> now, I don't know if he was intentionally hitting the cop or if it was like yeah. he threw it out the window and it hit the cop. Anyway, it was this woman, this female cop, oh, God. and she came on the bus, drug him off the bus and beat the shit out of him <gasps> and took him down to the police station. What? And my mom had to pick him up. Well, years later. How old was he? He was in fifth grade. <gasps> so um, he was 
some stuff went on. He got sent to live with his dad in D.C. We were in Hawaii at the time. And um, it came out. I think he ended up telling my mom what actually had happened. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think he told her. Because all she heard was that he threw a rock at a cop, cop and she arrested yeah, and him. she had to pick him up, right? But she I didn't get, hear that he right. had the shit beat out yeah. of him as a fifth grader. Yeah. Oh, my God. So she, um, they ended up, she, my mom ended up suing the cop. And they got a bunch of money and he had it for college or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, she took a kid off the bus and beat the shit out of him. And, you know, it's a funny thing And is, because he had ADHD, funny. it was like... Well, Nobody believed it. Yeah, right. It was just like, He's like, well, she pushed me around. Your mom was like, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, you know, I mean, right. I, honestly, and, and I don't blame her mom because, because I right, <laughs> right. I mean, it wasn't her fault. Casey it was just like, like, don't you remember when people used to pick on me in middle school? I'm like, no, Casey, that didn't happen. She's like, yes, it did, mom. And she told me, and I felt so guilty that I didn't believe her. But she was like such a little shit. Yeah, you know. And I was like, oh, I guess I didn't believe you. <laughs> I guess she did tell me that. But, That's like Charlotte. Whenever she tells me, like, someone's, you know, she's like super, super sensitive. And whenever she tells me someone at school is like, oh, so-and-so did, you know, said so- something. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, do I believe you or do I – like, I try to always believe her. Yeah, but, but, but at the same time, it's like you're I super know. dramatic. You yeah, know what I mean? I know. Well, that's how Casey was. And I, I – like, there was some stuff that happened to her in middle school that I never even, like, believed her or paid attention. And I feel really shitty about it now. Yeah, that's oh, my God. Yeah, Lily comes home and tells me people like, oh, Reagan pushed me or somebody pushed me. I'm like, okay, what did you do to her? Like, because Lily's a bully. <laughs> Lily's like, I punched her in the nose, mom. <laughs> I'm like, for sure, you did something first. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel guilty when, like, when Casey told me that happened. I was like, I didn't believe you because yeah. she was such a little shit. Yeah, I was like, I know. and I don't know. It I sucks. just feel bad about it now, but it is what it is. Yeah. That gives right, her something Casey. to talk about in therapy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, whatever. what else would you talk about, Casey? Yeah, there's nothing else because everything else in her life is perfect. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> no, no other way she your just mom re- perfect. She's driving, listen to this, and she just wrecked. <laughs> she's like, drove on the road. She's like, what? <laughs> but it's just, I don't know. I just don't understand, like, why people get, so one, why do people get into jobs where they're unhappy? Like, obviously... <laughs> We all know why people do that, but why do people become police officers that don't want to be patient and like work well, things out? To, and to be fair, I think they get into it and probably in the beginning, most of them, not all of them are good intentions. Yeah, have good intentions. And then they get jaded because, I mean, it's got to be a hard, hard job and they see a lot of shit. So their first in, their first assumption is that this person is doing something wrong. Right. And right. I, I can understand. It's just like you and Casey. Like, your first assumption was that sh- it was her, not the other yeah. kids. Right. You know? So I, I think that's what happens. And then as time goes on and they're in the force for 30 years, they get jaded and they're like... Yeah, but I mean, even there's even young the cops that do that. the fuck are you throwing a just, rocket? I feel like... I well, those know. are the ones that are, like, like shitty when they it. get inside yeah. of it. Like, yeah, they're like, they oh, start. they have, like, a big old chip on their shoulder yeah. and they're all cocky and stuff. And I just don't, like, I don't understand. Like, and same with social workers. And I think with social workers, I think it's more of a burnout because I think people don't go into social work for the money. We know that. Yeah, right. They go into it for the passion, like their compassion, maybe. And then they get to it and they're like, um, you know, they get burned out because I think they're very overworked and very, very overworked and very underpaid. I mean, for sure. And that's, you know, I mean, that's not easy. It's, you know, for I don't know. I just I know it sucks. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed today. And if you did. 
Um, we're not getting a lot of feedback right now. So we would love if you would finish this podcast, pull over or pause and then go like, share, love, subscribe, subscribe, um, share, just share it with one friend. I challenge all of you to share our podcast with one friend, just one. And then let us know, send us slide into our DMS and let us know who you shared it with so we can harass them. No, I'm kidding. We won't harass them. <laughs> um, but yeah, just, just share. So yeah. So and rate and review us. Yes. Please. On Apple, uh, Apple. on Spotify, on uh, Amazon podcast, you can do your Hey Alexa, Hey Echo, okay, yeah. Hey whatever, Hey Google Play, yeah, and the Google 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 Google, Google podcast. <laughs> so you can do like Hey Alexa, Play No Ordinary Women podcast. Hey oh, Google, fancy. Play No Ordinary Women podcast. You can do all that um, on Instagram. Give us a shout out. Follow us. Like our posts, love our posts, send us a message. We love hearing feedback. We love, love, love it. Like our girl from Portugal, our woman, our most amazing fan from Portugal who- <laughs> Our number one fan. Yes. Um, who shout out, shouted out to us a couple weeks ago. So on Instagram, No Ordinary Woman Pod. On Twitter, No Ord Women Pod. Facebook, No Ordinary Women Pod. And on the TikToka. No Ordinary Women Pod. Shout out to us. Share, like, please. You could just say No Ordinary Women Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. I could might help the people. So, No Ordinary Women Pod on (laughs) Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram. And then No Ord Women Pod on the Twitter. And um, send us a shout out. Like, share. Like a share. Rate and review. Rate and review. (laughs) (laughs) Until next week, you guys. See ya. See ya. Bye. Bye. Love you.